What the hell is the name of this thing? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. Right. He tried to get me in mid-shoe. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another Award. We have an award winner on the phone with us. Don't do, we? do we really? We have, well, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn, and we have the award-winning Evan Grant on the phone from Surprise. Surprise, Evan! What's going on behind you? Where are you? I'm on the back fields watching uh, guys pitch, but apparently Elvis Andrus won the war last year to have music piped in. Oh my gosh! Uh, during workouts, and it is. It's like being at a. It sounds uh, like you're like a, being at a concert. I'm just not sure. From day to day, the the music changes. I think today is salsa day. Yesterday was was country day. <laughs> well, as long as as long as you're not there the day the music dies. Oh my gosh. Okay, thank you, Barry. All right, Barry. I just I just did a ses- a, a segment with Norm, so I'm kind of dad joked out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, what? Norm. That would be Norm Hitzkiss at the ticket. Yeah. Yeah, okay. there you go. All right. All right, Evan, you're out there in, in lovely Surprise, Arizona. First of all, the most important and pressing question that I have for you today is, what is the house like that we're supposed to be living in? Is it okay? Yes, the house is fine. It's a very nice house, Kevin. <laughs> Last year, I think we should tell everybody that one night we came back in, and when I put my hand on the doorknob leading from the garage into the kitchen, it was on fire, practically. We went into the house, and the furnace is running at full blast, it was. I think it was ninety six degrees in the no, house. No, no, it was one hundred and two. It was one oh two, and you know that because it only showed zero two, and uh, just like the radar gun, uh, it was broken, and it was the most uncomfortable I have ever been. Um, uh, when I was not like out on a date, <laughs> I was. That was my favorite memory of that spring training was you talking to that old woman who was the landlord or how the old, landlord. How old, wait a minute, wait a minute. how old was she? I think she was probably in her, you know, sixties. How old are you? <laughs> she wasn't an old woman. Uh, she's let, let, older. She was older than me. That's all I know. And she was basically Evans going at it with her, and how she said she's, she is not going to. She Evan's is not a married man. No, not that way. She is not going to get that thing fixed. Finally, Evan did win, though, and so we all got that taken care of. It was great. Evan, we've had Don, this has been a great day for podcasts. We had Donnie Nelson on talking about the Mavericks. We had uh, Rick Goslin talking about the Cowboys and the NFL Combine. So let me ask you the great Joe, Joe Pesci question from my cousin Vinny. What do you got for us? Uh, in other words, Barry, you didn't do any homework, didn't read. <laughs> um, well, we, we let's talk first about the Josh Hamilton situation because there's been news developments on Monday, and hopefully people will be downloading this uh, fairly early in the week. But Josh is gone and sought a second opinion on his knee because it hasn't responded uh once the inflammation in the capsule behind the knee uh kicked back up um and i i think that the the question now is is there um something more aggressive the rangers could do like a surgical procedure or is this something that you're simply going to have to manage all year? We talked to uh, Steve put- Busby the other day, and and Steve brought up something interesting to me about the, his situation. And you know, of course, we know that that Josh has occasionally gotten cortis, uh, cortisone shots. And it's my understanding that you can only have those about once every seven to eight weeks. Does that sound right? 
it should it, it should and you're not supposed to you're not supposed to get one more than I think once every 12 weeks is, is kind of how the regimen works. So he, he brought up something. There was a, an alternative to a cortisone shot. And, and I, and I couldn't tell you what it possibly was, but did you, are you aware of another procedure that is similar to a cortisone that, that might be something that they could consider for Josh Hamilton? The only thing that I would think would be a possibility would be something like, um, a PRP injection where they inject plasma, um, uh, platelet-rich plasma into into the area, but I don't think that that's uh, that's something that you would attempt to do for inflammation. That's more than something you would attempt to do for for a soft tissue muscle tear. That was very to Soriel of you. That, that, that I'll was, tell you what, that was your mother. Excellent. Your mother would be proud. She She's like she sent her son to medical school. That was so good. Golly, Evan. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what? what, what what else? Just laying out on us. How about that? It's That's not. Nice. It, it's just. It's completely clear that when I'm not running things, this whole thing goes to hell. That's, that's what he's bitter about is that he's not running things here's the deal we had a vote me and barry and we kicked you out of the podcast yeah. you're of, off of the, the ballsy podcast. podcast that's island. right that's pretty right. much yeah no, so, I, that's the biggest development here uh so far um and i don't think the rangers will have any answers but i do think it it, it makes them that much more in uh aggressive on the remaining potential outfield free agents that are out there guys like David Murphy and Alex Rios and Will Venable. <laughs> be old, all guys old who have had, yeah, old guys who have taken a turn through the Rangers outfield at some point in time. But what about uh, a guy? Now, you mentioned old guys and old Rangers. I tell you, of the group that I've seen of, of potential free agents, I'd be more interested in an, in an old Marlon Bird. Well, I think I, I, the, the problem with Marlon at this point would be if Josh is going to be out for a period of time, I think you'd rather have a left-handed hitting left fielder because you're going to want to set up a platoon with Ruggiano, who's a right-handed hitter. And so I'm not so sure Marlin fits. The other part of that is that if Josh is capable of playing and has to play through the injury, you'd like to have somebody who could play a little bit of center field. That, to me, is why a guy like Venable seems to make some sense because he's a left-handed swinger. He's a he's an above average defender in both left and center, um, and and I I think that that's the kind of guy that would serve this team pretty well. What did he show last season? What I'm sorry. What did he show last season with the Rangers? Will Venable didn't show very much, um, but again, if you're if you're talking about Josh being out of the lineup for four to six weeks to start the year, something like that, you're not necessarily looking for uh, a long-term fix. You're looking for something that would be short-term to either get him healthy or to give Brinson or Mazzara enough time in the minor league so that they could come up here in, in May or June and be ready to to, to contribute. Oh, I think that would be a mistake. Uh, you know, I, I think you – know, and, and obviously all the outfielders you've mentioned are all in, in decline – but Barlin Bird did hit 23 home runs last year, uh, and, he, and he's a right-handed bat, uh, and he is a – and I know that – and I understand what you're saying with Ruggiano, but I think that they made the plans with Ruggiano based on the fact that he was going to play 50 games, you know, and, and uh, Josh Hamilton was going to play 110. I, I think if you, if you go into this now, if you determine that Josh can't play at all or he's going to be out for a long time – 
I think it's a mistake to think, okay, we're going to try to to complement this alternative piece that we had instead of the guy who was going to play the great majority of games. Well, I, I, I think you can make arguments both ways, Kevin, but I do think that that the specialization factor can't be overlooked and you don't want to leave yourself with, with no options against, with no real attractive options against right-handed pitching. Is, is, um, is, is anybody there really surprised with this uh, uh, Hamilton development? No, I don't think any, nobody's surprised. I, I think, and nobody's disappointed in Josh. I think right. it's, it's just, it, it's just what it is. This is a guy who's got a declining body who's done some damage to that body long-term. And when the Rangers took him on, they weren't expecting to get Josh Hamilton in 2010 or 2011. They were hoping to get a contributor for a pretty modest price. And that's still what they're hoping for. Now, uh, okay, if, we, if we'll go back to, to what the point you were making about Will Venable, who, who is, by the way, a couple of things. He is an excellent defensive outfielder. Uh, he is a, a really good clubhouse guy. Uh, and he and he has had a pretty good track record, um, and so. But the the point I would emphasize on that is the fact that his defense. My gosh, what just happened? Is it a tornado just go over? Uh, fighter, okay. fighter, Jeff. Okay, great, great. All right. So, but uh, one of the things that uh, that the, the skipper brought up uh, when he was on our podcast uh, last week. The skipper. The skipper. That's what we. Why that's what you, you just call the manager. Just call him Banny. No, I'm not calling him Banny. I'm not doing that. Jeff Bannister. Uh, just like I didn't call uh, Ron Washington Wash either. Uh, but one of the things he brought up is that this team has to improve its defense. And certainly Will Venable is the kind of guy, if he's going to be your backup, if, if James Jones ends up being uh, the backup, then you're going to probably improve your, your certainly your outfield defense. Well, I, you know, that's all well and good, but you lost your defense, your best defensive outfielder when you traded Leonis Marquine last year. Um, but in left field, yeah, I think you could. There's the ability to improve left field. I think that 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 exists. Um, I think that Venable also gives you the ability to occasionally give Delino to shield the day off if you need to, and if he if he has any kind of sophomore struggles. Um, I, I think where the defense has to improve is that the middle of the infield needs to get better than it was for for most of last year. Uh, second half of the year, Odor and Elvis did play well in the middle, but by and large, it wasn't it wasn't a good defensive uh, middle of the infield. Um, as far as the outfield goes, you know, uh, Chu is going to be an average to below average outfielder, um, and 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 that's that's not something you're going to change there. I don't think you're going to significantly change what you do in right field. So the Rangers have to simply execute better because you're not going to improve Chu's range. You're not going to improve his arm. And if you throw Marlon Bird out there at the age of 37, you're certainly not going to improve your, your left field defense. And and one thing I, I do think we should bring up here is, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about Josh, myself included. And I, I just will go back to this. Even if the Rangers end up with Justin Ruggiano and some other platoon situation out there. This is a team that got nothing out of left field for the great majority of last year. This team won in spite of a poor left field situation. Uh, you would like to have that upgraded, but I don't think that under any circumstances will the Rangers go into 2016 
with the situation being as bad or worse than it was in 2015. All right, Evan, let's uh, let's go now. You have an, an interview with Chris Jimenez, uh, the Rangers' backup catcher and the personal catcher for Cole Hamels last season, and uh, and for, and you Darvish for that matter. So uh, uh, let's uh, let's listen to what uh, the two of you talked about. Well, that sounds like a great idea because usually when you allow me to, again, take over the show, things things pick up. Go only high, only in your mind, Evan. Yes, only, only in, in your mind. Only in Evan's mind is that. Chris Jimenez joins us on the Ballsy podcast this morning uh, from Surprise, Arizona. I know, unfortunately, you can't talk with the guys back in the studio, but Barry and Kevin are pretty much a waste of space anyway. So um, we will get right down to it. Chris, uh, Let's go over what I have maybe overstated a little bit in print already as a near-death experience (laughs) and near-beheading. What exactly happened to you? Because I can't explain it to the readers very well. You know, February 1st, here I am. I'm getting off the freeway, going to work out 7 o'clock in the morning. And we had just gotten a big snow the night before that Sunday night. And... I'm getting off the soft ramp. It's quite a long off ramp. There's 15 cars in front of me, at least 15 cars. I don't know exactly how many, but I'm at a dead stop waiting for the light to turn so these cars can go and, and I can make my right-hand turn and go to work out. The next thing I know, I hear this very loud bang. It kind of sounded like a gun or a cannon went off, and it was behind me to the left. So I, uh, I take a kind of a quick peek, you know, instant reaction. You kind of start looking to your left, and the next thing I know, glass is flying through the cab of my truck, and I just instinctively duck and cover. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to, obviously I knew my window was broken. I take a look back there and I can see a hole in the roof of my truck. And, uh, and then there's also a, what appeared to be a metal grate of some sort on the bed of my truck. I have a, a tonneau cover on the bed. And it was on top of it kind of spinning around still. So I was able to get off the exit and pulled off the side of the road in, in a parking lot and was able to kind of get out and assess the damage and you know as soon as I got out there I started to realize you know I this grade I pick it up it's 15 and a half inches I measured it and it's 36 pounds and yes I weighed it too <laughs> yeah it, it was just amazing honestly is I get out of the truck and I look and you know I'd started to put the pieces together of what had possibly happened I my first instinct on the truck that I saw drive by was it was a snowplow and after kind of talking about it with my father-in-law we figured out it absolutely was a snowplow because the dot trucks are all yellow and this truck was big and yellow. And I didn't actually, you know, I didn't get to see it enough to really decipher what it was because the next thing I know, there's glass flying through the cab of my truck and I just ducked. So once I started realizing, you know, what had potentially happened, I, I screwed up because, you know, I've never been in an accident or anything like that. I haven't even got a ticket or anything, knock on wood. But, you know, I, I like to consider myself a very safe you know, operator of a vehicle. And uh, I should have got out and asked the guy behind me what what the crap he just saw. But I didn't think about it. I was just so shocked in what happened. But basically what this grate did is the snowplow was going down the freeway, had clipped the blade of his uh, snowplow, clipped this drain, snapped it off, and flung it 150 feet more, 150 feet plus, to where my truck was sitting there. It smashed into the crossbar member of, like, the roll cage of the cab of your truck. And uh, thankfully for me, if, you know, my truck was lifted, I have a six-inch lift on my truck. And if I did not have a lifted truck, it would have gone right through the roof of my truck and probably into the seat I was sitting on and 
probably through that. But now that you you get through all that, you pack up, you get to camp here, and, and you're approaching, I, I would imagine, not, I don't want to take anything for granted here, but this is as close to a secure spot as you've entered a major league camp, is it not? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, you know, I, I feel like I don't want to sound, you know, like I deserve anything, but I do feel like I've earned that position this year. And it's something I've obviously worked very, very hard to do because I always felt like, you know, not necessarily everybody gets a fair shake of stuff. And I was labeled very early on that I was a backup and, and all of that stuff. And I was treated as such, you know. And, and honestly, my first three years in the big leagues, I did nothing to disprove that, you know, at all. And, you know, I think one thing that, that J.D. and I have really had a chance to talk about and, you know, when this whole – when the arbitration thing was coming up, coming up close, you know, we had some discussions about it, and they started to, you know, they've realized the same thing that I've realized that, you know, if you look at my last four years, I've been extremely consistent, you know, and I've gotten an opportunity to play a little bit. I've been very consistent, and I've learned basically is what it comes down to. I, you know, I could take it one of two ways. I could put your tail between your legs and say, oh well, that was my shot, and I didn't get it. You know, I didn't come up with it, or. You know, I could continue to work hard and try to be better than what I was. I knew I was better than I hit 144 in my first year in the big leagues. And if you're if you're a pitcher, that's a really really good ERA. But it turns out that I'm a hitter, so that's not so good. So I'm hung up on on this. When you played last year for the Rangers, and and really in 14 when you played for the Rangers as well, you were you were I would I would say very I don't want to mean this in a in a negative connotation. No. Very serviceable and absolutely a, a contributor as a catcher. But you've only played, I think your high is 32 starts right. in the big leagues. Robinson's high in the big leagues is, is, is 88 starts. I know you've started more games in the minor sure. leagues. But the rigor of catching a full season between the two of you guys, you feel like you're, you guys will be stretching your bounds at all to get through 162 together? You know, it's funny you say that because we've, we've had a little conversation about it and you know, we've both caught 100 games plus in the minor leagues. And, yeah, it is different in the big leagues. I, I will give you that. But, you know, we're, I think that's something of a chip on both of our shoulders that we want to prove to everybody that we are very capable of, of getting this through. You know, as long as everybody can stay healthy. I actually think that, you know, potentially we, we might be a little bit of an undervalued, you know, group, so to speak. I've, I've had the pleasure of, you know, I was with Robbie in, in Tampa before he was traded over here to Texas. And, you know, the pleasure of seeing his work ethic and the passion that he has for the game and how he's really kind of molded himself to being one of the leaders, I think is really cool to see, honestly. And it couldn't happen to a better person because he is just a grade A individual, in my opinion. But, you know, we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulders because we want to prove to everybody that we are very capable of it. And especially me. I mean, it, you know, that's something that this is, you know, I kind of take it as this potentially is my opportunity to, you know, show what I really am capable of doing. And I'm not getting any younger. You know, I want to go into one thing about the guy you call your meal ticket, Cole <laughs> Hamill. Uh, you worked with Cole, his, I think his last 10 starts, plus the postseason. And club went 10-0 and in those starts. You guys obviously had a good rapport. Uh, what, what do you owe that to? Is that he's obviously a veteran pitcher. He right. knows what he wants to do. But he was coming to a new league, coming yeah. to a new team. What, how did that chemistry kind of develop? You know, I try to. I just try to. As soon as he got here, you know, not that I was going to be his catcher. I didn't know any of that at the time. But this is how I approach every pitcher. So I, I want to get to know them as a person because to me, that if I can know what you are off the field, I know how you're going to be on the field. 
Because the funny thing about him is he's real laid back and stuff like that in the clubhouse and off the field. But when he gets on the mound, he's like Darvish. He is a fierce competitor. And that's a really good attribute to have. And I noticed that very early on. And now I did a lot of video homework on the deal, too, is just trying to – I wanted it to be as easy of a transition for him so he wasn't sitting there and I don't know what he, you know he wants and he's shaking and all this stuff. I tried to – I watched probably 15 of his starts. This pitching staff – is going to be devoid of you, Darvish, for the first couple right. months. You've gotten a chance to work with some of these guys a little bit. Is there, on the depth level, where do you where do you feel like this club is in terms of, of starting pitching depth options? I mean, I'm a big believer in you can never have enough pitching. And I know that kind of sounds very, very front office of me, I guess you could say, but you know, I well, everybody's got to have a career after playing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that's my next one. I don't know. But <laughs> I really do feel like we've got Nick Martinez, Chi-Chi, Anthony Renato, who we didn't get to see the greatest of up here last year, but I did get to see some really good flashes of him in AAA last year. Um, you know, Phil Klein's kind of made himself a little bit of an option. A.J. Griffin, who I had a chance to play with in spring training two years ago before I got traded to Texas – uh, is another option. Obviously, Nick Tepish being back. Um, you know, I think that there are obviously not huge, flashy names that, that everybody wants to have, but these are definitely guys that are very, very capable of going out for four, five, six, seven starts until we do get Darvish back. You know, these guys are capable, very capable stopgaps. And I don't want to use that as a that's all they're worth, you know, because we've seen flashes from Chi Chi as well. You know, I mean, he's, he's going to have a place in this rotation at some point in time in his career. And, um, you know, I think it's just it's a good thing to have a ton of starting pitching options because, like we saw in 2014, how many pitchers or just players in general, we went through like 7,413 players. Right. You know, you can never have enough options down there. And, you know, all of those guys have either played in the big leagues, had some success at some point. So that is something I think that they look for, you know, when, when you're trying to find those options. You and Robinson uh, appear to be the tandem. You've also got Bobby Wilson with major league experience and Michael McHenry with major league experience. Uh, is there, in just a couple of days, has there been any degree of of chemistry forming between that, that group of veterans? You better believe it. You know, we kind of, we like to think of ourselves of a different breed of player. We're half breeds. You know, we're half pitcher, half position player, essentially. And... It's funny to see that guy. We all kind of gravitate towards each other. It's just how it works. I, you know, I can't really explain it, but you know. And again, I think the same thing too with with Robbie. We've all played against each other. All four of us have played against each other, either in the minor leagues or in the big leagues at some point. So you start to create a relationship. And then as soon as McHenry walked in the clubhouse, on uh, you know a couple of days ago, he came up and gave me a big hug. And I've never played with him, but I've played against him for a long time. And you know, it's just kind of cool to. To have guys that you have played against and you know that are, you know, kind of we're all in this together, I guess you could say, because, you know, as we've seen in the past, too, just because two guys start there doesn't mean the same two guys are going to end there at the end of the year. And I think that was evident last year, you know, with with Corpy and Robbie and then and obviously Bobby and I coming up, you know, and, and Talese to that matter, too, for a little little part of it. Sure. But, um, you know, I think that there's easily th- that relationship is easy. It's just smooth because. Also, we're doing all of our drills and stuff like that together. So everybody's in there working together, working hard. You know, we're trying to, to make each other better. And that's one good thing, too, is, you know, it's, it's a competition. You know, nothing's given to anybody. And none of us think that way. Even Robbie's the same, you know, 
he's going to be the starter most likely about 99.9%, but what if what if he's not? You know, there's there's always that little bit that potential. So, you know, I think everybody's kind of keeps each other on our toes and it's a group, I mean, just a great group of guys. Like even with Nicholas and Deglin, you know, just a lot of fun, you know, we've got a lot of practical jokers and it makes it, it makes it fun cuz you know, sometimes spring training is a lot of fun to be at, but sometimes it can be tedious when you block a million balls or you do a million dry, you know, throws to second base and stuff like that. And you got to have those guys out there that, that keep you on your toes and keep it light. All right. Well, this is usually the time where on the Rangers pregame show, Matt Hicks would tell you that you've got a gift certificate coming <laughs> from somewhere. You mean but, you're not taking me to sushi or something? Uh, I'll be happy to. But what I will tell you is that you will get our, in, an unendur- our enduring thanks for appearing on the Ballsy podcast at the Dallas Morning News. Uh, And now I will send it back to the studio so that we can dissect everything that you said. That's right. So, guys, I think that the real takeaway from that is uh, one concern I had going into this camp is do the Rangers have enough games to get out of their catching situation? And uh, you're not going to get that answer um, until the year actually starts. But – I do feel like when you hear when you hear Chris Jimenez talk about how he and Chirinos are aware of the questions about their durability and whether they can perform, and, and when I talked to Robinson Chirinos and, and, and I heard what people had to say about his dedication to the workout plan this winter, I do feel a little bit more confident that, that yeah, they might be able to get 162 quality games out of these two guys. All right, remind us what Plan C is. Plan B. Well, plan okay, A, B, C. Who, if 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 they can't get 162 games out of those two games, well, plan what plan C and D right now are Bobby Wilson and, and Michael McHenry, two you know journeyman backup catchers who have major league experience. And again, it's a better situation than they had going into last year when they didn't really have um, a, a veteran that they were comfortable with. They had Jimenez at AAA, but they weren't comfortable in going to him until uh, the second half of the year. So. Uh, I, I think that they feel they feel like they've got the ability with McHenry and Wilson to find a capable backup, a, a capable third catcher. Um, you're never, you know, you're never going to bring aside from last year when the Rangers caught really lightning in a bottle with Jimenez and, and Wilson. You're not going to find third catchers who are going to contribute greatly. But uh, Wilson has some familiarity with his pitching staff, and McHenry has a little bit of pop and. And so, you know, if they needed to get two or three weeks out of out of a backup catcher or a third catcher, and I think it's very possible that they'll have to do that somewhere along the line. If they if they have to do that, I think that they're they're in decent position to weather that storm. See, I, I'm not as concerned about the catching position here. I think it's certainly possible that Chris Jimenez had a career year. You know, he hit more home runs last year than he hit in his entire career. So it's, it's certainly possible he could go backwards and be what he was before. But uh, but look, they got what nineteen home runs and seventy five RBIs out of the position last year. That that's that's got to be, I would imagine, in the, in the top third of baseball at the catching position. Uh, no, I I think that their catching position last year was uh, the the absolute definition of of, a, of a, the sum being greater than its individual parts. They they got good production out of the position they had to scramble in july but they did a good job of scrambling and and i i do think that chirinos you know has over the past two years really improved significantly when he's been on the field and if he can give you a hundred games behind the plate i think you're going to see a guy that you're you're comfortable with calling 
certainly a a capable starting catcher, a middle uh, a middle to maybe upper half. Wow. Uh, of the catchers in the American League. So uh, let's say that the, the, the worst-case scenario happens and uh, and, uh, and Torinos gets hurt again and then the, the backups just don't perform. What are the chances they pull a deal, uh, pull the trigger on a deal for a Jonathan LaCroix at that point, the Milwaukee Brewers catcher? Well, I think that that's one place that the Rangers would look come July and, and that certain that option certainly exists. And then same thing with, with a potential starting pitcher. You know, I, I think the Rangers did a really good job last year of kind of turning the the shopping market on its ear. You know, they had to do a lot of off-season shopping, uh, and they did it in the middle of the summer rather than in the wintertime. And well, so that's why they weren't as active this past winter. Okay, and, but, and I think they could do the same thing with the, with the catcher and potentially another starter this, this winter. Okay, but the Rangers, this showed, summer, I mean. the, the Rangers showed everybody in baseball – uh, another alternative, another path. It, it'll be much harder to do that this summer. Don't you agree? I, I don't think necessarily. I think that the only reason it's going to be harder to do it is that the Rangers have fewer prospects than they did a year ago, that their inventory has been a little bit more depleted. But uh, if you're willing to give up talent, you still have the ability to make trades in, in, in July. And maybe there will be some more teams thinking along those Same those lines. lines. But uh, I think that what John Daniel showed last year was, uh, again, if, if this team has a plan and they want to attack something, they've, they've got the wherewithal to do it. You brought up uh, uh, the defense earlier when we were talking the middle infield, and I think you're certainly right about that. Uh, we know that uh, Elvis's occasional struggles, the guy can make – an occasional great play. The problem is is making all of the plays he's supposed to make. Uh, but let's go over to the other side of the bag at, at Ruggio Dor. What is the ceiling on him defensively? We we know what he is offensively, and certainly the ceiling it seems to be very high uh, in that position. You know, he 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 hit 16 home runs last year in what 111 games, something like that. Uh, yes, that's a phenomenal total, uh, and, and especially in a in a in a player so young. So there 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 looks like there's the potential for a 25 to 30 home run second baseman there. But is he going to be able to play uh, top shelf defense at second base? He's not going to be a Roberto Alomar type of second baseman defensively. Um, he he's a little bit more. Um, blocky in the way he approaches balls but he he made improvements last year he he was better his feet moved better around the bag and and i think he got better reads on balls but uh it's always he's always going to be considered more of an offensive first second baseman than than an overall uh uh nuanced defender and the rangers are okay with that In, in the second half he was he was a capable defensive second baseman and and he he can continue to make some strides there, but no, he's he's a guy that we're going to look at offensively first. Well, that's and that's what a, a second baseman should be. I mean, really, you're you're looking at him to be more of an offensive, uh, make an offensive impact here than defense. You'd like to have both, obviously, but if it's only going to be one or the other, you better be getting the offense. Okay, so what about the post uh, Beltre third base situation where now they're playing uh, Gallo? I think in Triple A. But, 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 but he's, he's, he's working is, almost uh, exclusively is a third, at third. third base. Yes. What does this portend 
I like that word, portend. You like that? Yeah. Where does this portend for, for the future of the Ranger infield? Or you don't want to get into that, do you, Evan? It's too far. No, no. I, I think that right now, you know, the Rangers have made it clear that, that Gallo is not a, a factor in the outfield. He's going to work at third base all spring. And, and you know, the read that I get with, with Josh potentially being in question uh, and, and no real plans to move Gallo to the outfield at this point is they do view him as a third baseman. And, I've I've held to this that if I if if I think there's a short term position change over the next year or two for Joey Gallo, I think it's more along the lines of the other corner of the infield to first base, where the Rangers may have a need if Mitch Moreland walks after this year. If they sign Adrian Beltre to a one or two year extension, uh, the, the possibility still exists that Joey could move from first back to third base uh, as a big leaguer, but. I, I think that the outfield, he's athletic enough to play the outfield, but I think that in Mazzara and Brinson, you've got you've got better defensive options out there. Yeah, that, 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 I agree 100%, not only because of the, what you just mentioned uh, last about the, the two guys you're, you're, you're trying to get. In. You're trying to find places for those guys at some point in the next couple of years. And, and look, the same thing with Joey Gallo, uh, the issue with him is the same that you would have with Josh Hamilton. The guy, Josh Hamilton, 6'4", 250, 260 pounds, and Joey Gallo, 6'5", 240. You don't want guys that big, you know, galloping around an outfield. That's just You're just begging for those guys to start having knee problems. I will say this. I think that Joey Gallo is really too big to play third base, for that matter. So where do you want to play him? I want to play him at first first. base. Yeah, I think he's at first base. I think he's – watching him play third base, he's got a great arm, and he is athletic. But, look, that's a position of, of reflexes. And the guy's going to—he's going to be on the ground a lot. He's going to be diving. You know, he's going to be making those kinds of moves. And I think that's a little bit difficult. And you know, taking balls coming in and fielding balls—you know—that are, are hit short. And he's—and he's, he's coming in and he's making throws on the run. That's those are all very difficult things to do, and for especially for a guy that big. I just think his long-term prospects are as a first baseman. Yeah, and you know, you look at him taking some ground balls here at third base with whether it's next to Beltre or next to Drew Robinson or. Or um, Hans or Alberto, and it does. You just it does stand out how much bigger Joey is, and and how much farther he's got to move his body to get down to to ground balls and to, and to move to his left or right. And, and and I just think that that height and and, and his wingspan is going to serve better uh, at first base long term than it would at third. But hey, maybe maybe Beltre gets hurt this year, and they have to play Joey at third base and. He shows them. He shows them much more than I, I think we're looking at from a kind of a conventional standpoint. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But I, I do think that the possibility has to be considered that you look at him long term as a first baseman. Yeah, and you know what? Here's the thing: by having him in the infield, you're doing the right thing. Whether he's whether he's working out exclusively at third or not, it's you're, you're kind of flopping the you know the sides. It's not a huge difference between third base and first base, and and so they're. At least he's in the infield where he should be. I, I think the idea of getting him out of the outfield is is a good thing. And I and as you brought up about Brinson and Mazzara, I, I those guys so fresh and still so young uh, to think that you're going to to jam one of them into this situation if Josh can't play for an extended period of time. I just don't like that idea. Well, I, here's the thing. I think Mazzara and Brinson are probably more advanced hitters than Joey. Joey's got a power tool that's that's you know, off the charts, um, and probably more, certainly more advanced than those two guys. 
but I think both Mazar and Brinson have better plate discipline and, and have the ability to make more contact. And they might be in situations where, you know, come June, they could be capable of, of contributing in the big league. Who, who, who would you say, who would you see as the more developed? Uh, do you still need some time to figure that out, or do you have a, uh, a, a an astute uh, observation of who would be the, the first guy between those two? Uh, I don't. I don't have a feel. I've I've alternated back and forth on, on that question that that others have thrown at me, and I do think that they've both come very far in the last year. Um, I think that Mazar has got more power than Brinson. I think Brinson's got more more speed. I think Brinson's also got the ability to play center field. And I think it comes down to, to at that point, what do you need more? Do you need a, a, a power bat in left field? Maybe Mazzara makes more sense. Do, does, is Josh back and you, need, you may need a center fielder if the Shields gets hurt? Then Brinson makes more sense. I, I think it comes down more to need at that point, unless one of them is simply outperforming the other by, by yards. Evan, Tom, uh, our, our fine producer, Brian Elledge, has fallen asleep. His head just hit the table. So I think that means it's time for us to wrap this uh, podcast of Ballsy Up. It's been great talking to you out there. We wish you were here with us because then you could go to lunch with us and regale us with your usual Instead, we'll get, we're going. Stories. We're going to lunch. I've, I've, do you know who our surprise lunch partner will be? Jerry Fraley. Jerry Fraley. Yes, we're having, we're having another baseball guy go to, go to lunch with us. All right, well, you guys have fun at lunch. Evan, a little more enthusiasm, please. <laughs> Try that again. Okay, goodbye. so okay, we had, we were, we're saying goodbye to the enthusiastic Evan Grant. We also this week have Donnie Nelson talking Mavericks, Rick Goslin talking Cowboys and uh, NFL, NFL combine. combine. It's been another ballsy day here at the Dallas Morning News. Yes, it has. Goodbye. <laughs>